Freedom and Moral Responsibility by Fulton Sheen How can man be free and at the same time not morally responsible for what he does? On the one hand, we protest against every tendency to limit human freedom, even to a point of allowing license. We claim the superiority of the free world and glorify Western civilization that enthrones liberty as the condition of government and social life. But, on the other hand, our psychologist tells us when a boy breaks windows, kills an old man because he does not like the way he whistles, steals an automobile, and then kills a man who is fixing a tire, the boy is not to blame, nor is he morally responsible. Maybe he is raised on poor milk, or else he hated his grandfather, or his mother loved him too much, or his neighborhood had no boys club. It makes little difference what the escapes are from personal responsibility, whether they be the Darwinian explanation that such people have a fall in the evolutionary process, or Marxian and communistic notion that they were badly formed by a wrong arrangement of atoms, or the Freudian that they had either a grandfather or grandmother complex. The fact remains that modern man is drifting toward the assumption that he cannot do anything wrong. As Joseph Wood Crouch has so well put it, on the radio, one may hear pre-adolescent participants in junior forums assuring one another that when other children are what used to be called naughty, that is, only their way of showing that they need more love. And thus, from the tenderest age, the future citizens are taught the art of exculpation and conditioned to believe that nothing but conditioning is important. We cannot have it both ways. If we are free, we are responsible. If we are not responsible, we are not free. Ice is not free. Therefore, it is not blamed for melting. Adding machines are not free. Therefore, they are not patented on the keys for adding correctly. Man is free. Therefore, he is to be held accountable for all thoughts and desires and actions. Hell is a guarantee of human freedom. Grant that it be a negative guarantee. But at least it does mean that a man can be so free as to freely determine his condition for all eternity. If we are to maintain a free world, we have to maintain a responsible world. In a responsible world, not everybody is nice, and not everybody does wrong is antisocial. Robinson Crusoe could not have been antisocial when on the island, but he could have done wrong things and morally, been morally responsible in his conscience to someday render an account of his stewardship. Man is invested with the regal power of choice, and with this faculty he cannot be driven into sin by any social forces unless he willingly consents. When Stephen was stoned, his prayer was, Lay not this sin to their charge. Three years later, St. Paul, recalling the stoning of Stephen, as he held the garments of those who threw the rock, said, I stood by and consented. We cannot have it both ways. Lincoln said that no man can remain half slave and half free. We cannot on the one hand believe that we are free citizens and then blame all our bad actions on economics and social conditions when we do wrong. If we are not free, then who shall be virtuous? Can everything evil we do be blamed on our grandmothers, and at the same time, everything good be attributed to ourselves? If our evil deeds are determined by our glands or by economic circumstances, then why are not our good deeds determined by our grandfathers or by a housing development? Heaven itself has guaranteed human freedom when it assured us of the final judgment. As a businessman at the end of the day takes a slip out of the cash register on which is written the debits and credits, so a record shall be taken from our conscience on the last day on which is written the guilty and the praiseworthy deeds of our life. The universe is free because we will be judged as responsible beings. Politics and education better get together. Politics cannot talk of a free world and educators deny free men. Politics is right in saying that man is free. 
educators are wrong in saying that he is not responsible. Obedience by Archbishop Fulton Sheen Obedience does not mean the execution of orders that are given by a drill sergeant. It springs rather from the love of an order and love of him who gave it. The merit of obedience is less in the act than in the love. The submission, the devotion, and the service, which obedience implies, are not born of servitude, but are rather effects that spring from and are unified by love. Obedience is servility only to those who have not understood the spontaneity of love. Our universe is governed by laws. Things are this way and that way. By submission to laws, we make them our own. If, for instance, we obey the laws of the body, we keep it in health. If we obey the laws of mind, we keep it learned. Spiritual being has its prizes too. As our Lord said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, true obedience springs from love, not from force. The worst man in the world knows a great deal more of his duty than the best man does. It is not for want of knowledge that men go to pieces, but rather for, for want of obedience to the knowledge of the good they already possess. The legal world says, if you fear me, keep my commandments. In the divine order, it is different. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Today, liberty is taking the place of obedience. It is said that obedience has had its day. Civilization is in danger when the rights of liberty plead against the duties of obedience as if the two were opposed to one another. A man who has never obeyed is not the man who will know how to command. He'll be a poor general who has never come up through the ranks. Our Lord went down to Nazareth and was subject to his mother and foster father. Then he became obedient unto death, even, un even unto the death on the cross. Obedience is not the quality of slaves, for slaves act against their will. He who had liberty to do all things became subject to his parents to prove that obedience is the pathway to freedom. As St. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, You who are children must show obedience in the Lord to your parents. It is your duty. The parent is strong when he says to the child, I must have your obedience because I am responsible to God for your upbringing in goodness and truth. On the other hand, the child's strongest encouragement is, this, is in the same thought. In obeying my parents, I am doing that which is pleasing to God, and I do it because I love the Lord. In Lamentations it is written, It is well that you should learn to bear the yoke, now in your youth. A horse must be broken in while he is a colt. A dog must be trained when he is young. So it is with youth. He who has never learned to submit will make himself a tyrant when he obtains power. A silver spoon has choked many youth. St. Thomas Aquinas said, the respect that one has for the rule flows naturally from the respect that one has for the person who gave it. Authority must always have behind it some value which elicits respect and reverence. In courtship there are no laws, but the lover always seeks to fulfill the will of the beloved, and in religion no compulsion is felt by anyone who loves God. The real basis of obedience in the family, therefore, is not the fear of punishment, just as in religion it is not the fear of hell. Rather, it is based on the fact that one never wants to hurt anyone whom one loves. It will bear repeating that our Lord said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments.